Well, in this final message, um, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter and chapter 3, we are going to get there eventually, although in this message, uh, I'm going to be looking at a number of different scriptures, and so you're, you're welcome to turn there with me if you would like to. Uh, and then we'll kind of get to First Peter at the end. I think if there was one verse that I think encapsulates this message, it would be that one. But I am certainly trying to look at a broader number of scriptures for this particular uh, message. Um, so turn there, but if you'd like to turn to some of the other ones as I reference them, you're welcome to do that as well. Well, this session is called Love and Attraction. Uh, it, it might seem to have made sense to do this one prior to the last session, uh, but when I originally did this series in Phoenix, I intentionally did this one after uh, this, this session on sexuality because I think so much of the Bible's teaching on romance starts with God's end design and then works its way from there as to how we are to anticipate that design rather than thinking about what we should do now and we'll figure out marriage when we get there. So hopefully you're noticing that pattern. I think that's what the Bible uh, really emphasizes and reflects. So that's why we're doing attraction after intimacy and sexuality. Um, So... If you are there in First Peter, I, I want to begin, actually with an illustration, about driving. Uh, you know how when you drive, uh, if you drive, and I assume you know, most people here, there's some younger, but when, when you drive, there just aren't detailed instructions about driving. And I'm sure for some of the parents... They really wish there were, but there just aren't. And even little GPS guys that you get, that they don't give you detailed, you know, turn right and stop turning. Okay, now turn it back exactly and then stop and then curve exactly right. Okay, very good. And watch out for this car on your right-hand side as he comes. And now take your foot slightly off the brake. You're slightly going too fast. Now a little bit more now accelerate. I mean, you can imagine the kind of schizophrenia that would ensue if... You know, there was a little guy with a British accent or a cowboy accent or whatever accent you choose. I recently heard one that had Darth Vader and or Yoda uh, on the GPS uh, giving you instructions, um, you know, at, at not only in terms of directions, but literally how to drive. And yet, if you think about the rules of the road, the rules of the road, they don't give you specific instructions, but they do give you a general pattern to follow. They give you a general pattern to follow, and actually to disobey those rules is still wrong. It's still uh, disobedience, even if they didn't say specifically, don't turn too far left, don't turn too far left. Once you turn too far left and cross over that yellow line, you have broken the rules of the road. So in other words, if you can think of it this way, in terms of pedestrian rules, jaywalking prohibits jayhopping as well. Okay, you just can't get in front of a judge and say, well, Your Honor, I wasn't walking. I was hopping. And that's just not allowable in a court of law. Thank you very much. Find that guy and get him out of here, right? Well, I want to give you three principles about the topic of attraction. Just like with all these messages, I just can't give you specific, detailed instructions about how to think about attraction, to be attracted to somebody else. But I can give you three principles that I believe are biblical, and they are, as it were, the lines, the guidelines of the road that will send you in the right direction. 
They will, they will keep you on course with this whole topic of attraction. They're not detailed, specific instructions about how you know exactly who the person is you're supposed to be married to. I wish I could give you that. Exactly what they look like. Exactly the shape of their face. Exactly how they wear their hair. Exactly what wardrobe they have. Exactly how they talk. And and this kind of mystery of attraction. How it's exactly supposed to work. I just can't give you detailed description of who it is you're going to marry. And how you should approach that person biblically. But I can give you three principles. That I believe are God's principles of attraction. The first one is this. Recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. Sorry, I know that's a little wordy. I'll give you a chance to write it down. Recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. See, we live in a world where emotions and attractions are assumed to be all-powerful. You can't help what you feel. That's the way our culture would promote the idea of feelings. Feelings are all-powerful, and we are essentially a victim of attraction. You walk into a room, and if you feel attracted to a person, it is, as it were, Cupid's arrow. And it isn't interesting that we have that mythology even in our culture. Cupid's arrow hits you, and you are irresistibly drawn in a particular direction. Even imagery, for example, like falling in love. Right? Now, typically, you don't choose to fall. Most people I know don't choose to fall. But falling in love gives you this image of I was just walking along and I fell unintentionally without my power or ability to resist. I fell in love. And that's kind of like the ultimate romantic experience is to fall in love. In other words, to be rendered helpless and a victim of this ditch of romance that I just walked up to, and before I knew it, she had me, and I was just fell in love, right? We're a victim. We're a victim of emotions. And yet, God actually commands us to feel certain ways. Now, let that sink in. That is very countercultural. God commands you to feel. Did you know that? Do you know God commands you to feel certain ways and to not feel other ways? Very different the way our culture thinks. We tend to think feelings are just these spontaneous things that happen to us we can't control. They just take place. Not biblical. That is not a biblical idea. A cultural idea. God commands us to feel certain ways. Feelings are supposed to be under the influence of our will. Let me give you some examples. Philippians 4 says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Now, joy is an emotion. It's certainly more than an emotion, but it's not less. We're to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I take that to mean that God commands us to feel joy in the Lord. Insufficient merely to have mental obligatory obedience. We must feel joy. Joy, which means our emotions are under the influence and responsibility of our will. We are responsible if we fail to feel joy in the Lord. Another example, Psalms, throughout the Psalms, we're told to rejoice in the Lord. We're told to have joy in the Lord. 
Psalm 37 is an example. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So not just obey him, not just trust him, not just follow you know, his rules and commandments. No, it's delight in the Lord. It's an emotional commandment. And so this sort of building block of the biblical principles has to be put in place before we get to romance. God says that your emotions are under the power of your will. You are able to feel a certain way. You are responsible to feel a certain way. Very countercultural. Notice even in our language, I'm just down today. I'm having an off day. I'm blue. He made me so angry. I'm just depressed when it's raining. Don't we have this perspective that our emotions just come upon us and we're unable to resist them? We're a victim of emotions? Quite contrary to the Bible. The Bible says that we're to recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. Here's the point. Our emotions and affections are most often the results of our priorities. God is not impressed with duty without affection. Neither is he impressed by disobedience without affection. Having right affections that flow out of right motivations, that flow out of a heart set aflame by the gospel, is the right course of action. In other words, to be real and be wrong is not a good thing. How countercultural. Well, I'm just so glad they were being real. Really? It would be better if they were right. It would be better if they felt right. To be a person who is sort of an anti-legalist that says, well, since I don't feel that way, there's nothing I can do about it. I won't even go in that direction. Totally unbiblical. You're responsible to do the right thing and feel good about doing the right thing. Disobedience is not the solution to lack of feeling towards God. Repentance and growth is. You are responsible to feel a certain way. This is also true, very true, of romantic feelings in the Bible. Hollywood would tell us that we are victims of attraction based on the right moment, the right wardrobe, the right atmosphere, the right opening line, and if certain things line up, then attraction will surely follow. Right, so you just it's got to be the right vibe, and it just so happens that everything came into place, and I was attracted to this person. Totally out of the blue, I just walked into some place, a bar or something, and I saw her, and attraction came up in my heart. That's how Hollywood described attraction. Yet the Bible speaks of the influence of our will even over romantic attraction. Does this negatively and positively. So you have in Proverbs 6.23, you can write down the reference, look at it later. It says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman and the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not desire. Desire. In other words, it's not just saying don't take action towards the desire you can't help. 
It's saying discipline yourself in such a way that you do not desire her beauty in your heart. Recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. Now, again, I am not, we are all sinful and there's cravings and alternative priorities in our heart. I'm not saying that somehow you get so godly that you're never even temporarily drawn in attraction in some negative way. I'm not saying that. I am saying that that temporary attraction must then be subordinated to the power of a godly priority and a godly will. Recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. It can also be stated positively as in Proverbs 5.18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, I find it very interesting that it doesn't say rejoice in your wife in her youth. Here's the difference. A man is being told directly that he should rejoice in the physical beauty, and that's very clear in the context if you read it, Proverbs 5.18. He should rejoice in the physical beauty of his wife. Okay, now what happens when his wife gets older? She doesn't look the way she looked when he first married her. I don't know if you've noticed that. People look different when they get older, okay? And probably... If a certain wife, you know, when she was 50, looked the way she did when she was 50, when you married her, when she was 22, your definition of attraction in that moment probably wouldn't have included that particular way of looking. I mean, maybe not. Maybe you're just almost heavenly. But I sort of doubt it. I sort of doubt that that would have been in your grid of what's kind of acceptable in my range. I'm looking for a spouse, and I think this picture, right? And yet, here we have God telling a husband, rejoice. In other words, take joy in. Don't just be faithful to. Don't just be committed to. Take joy in the wife of your youth. Really? Enjoy her? Enjoy the way she looks? But she doesn't look like she looked when I first met her. He doesn't look like he looked. He's got all kinds of less hair going on. And he's not shaped the way he was shaped. And he can't do the kind of bench pressing he used to be able to do. He can't even press a bench now, let alone bench press. <laughs> Rejoice in the wife of our youth. What does that mean? What do we take of that? Apparently, God thinks that our wills can have an effect on our attraction. God thinks our wills can have an effect on our attraction. Very important principle for married couples as well. If you don't believe your will doesn't have power over your attraction, you will gradually drift from that command to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, it's important that we recognize how how this has already taken place in our life, if we're honest, okay? Okay. Typically, the way this works is that our wills function in agreeing with our culture's definition of attraction. So typically, we're provided a definition, and we say, my will is now being exercised, I agree with that, right? And we do that over and over and over and over again. We agree with what the culture says is beautiful. So the culture says, this is beautiful, and then our will being at work says, 
I agree. I submit to that definition of beauty. And then we are then attracted automatically by what we have already agreed will be attractive. In other words, when that guy walks into that bar, that's not fate. That's not being a victim of attraction. He decided before he went in what was attractive to him. And then he saw it. And he was attracted. It's as predictable as the weather in Phoenix. Okay? He saw what he already decided would be attractive, and he was attracted. This happens throughout our culture. Our culture decides for us that certain physical qualities will be attractive. We agree, and then, lo and behold, we find ourselves attracted to that type of physical appearance. Now imagine, let's use an extreme example. Let's say that in some distant country, what was really attractive was nine-foot women with long white beards. Okay, let's just assume that in this particular country, that is just it, man. Nine-foot women, doesn't matter. Now, sometimes they have slightly shorter beards, a little bit of change. Sometimes they're eight-foot, 11, a little different. And they, but really, the, the basic package is nine-foot, long white beard. And on every magazine, in every grocery store, every movie where there's a romantic lead lady, she is nine-foot, roughly tall, with a long white beard. And that's just always the way it works. And that happened for generation after generation after generation, that was basically the appearance. And then some young guy from that culture comes to our country, walks into our grocery store, watches a movie in our theaters. What would that young guy say? How ugly. Can you find no beautiful women in this culture? Five foot seven, blonde. Blue eyes, 124 pounds of pure ugliness. Please take me away. Why do you promote ugliness in this culture? Some of them don't even have facial hair. How repulsive. Now, what's that guy done? He's just agreed with the culture and his will has now dictated that he will be attracted to a certain look. Let's make it a little more realistic. What if in our culture, for some reason, certain physical qualities were seen as less significant and people were considered beautiful, even if they had some of those qualities? Acne, for example, considered less significant than it has been in our culture, right? But man, what's really a big deal is a large nose. That's what's really important. Or a small nose. Since you've got a person with a small nose, a lot of acne. Acne doesn't matter. Small nose is important, right? And over and over and over again, those are the people that are promoted as beautiful. They're seen as beautiful. They're the people that everybody wants to take pictures of. Now, you can't tell me that if you agree and just take in that kind of decisions being made for you, that by the time you're at an age where you are ready to be attracted to someone, that you haven't already decided the parameters of that attraction. You have. Your will agreed all along, and then it just agreed when it saw it. Recognize the power of your will over permanent attraction. Principle number one. Principle number two. Celebrate external beauty. 
celebrate external beauty. Now, that may seem kind of confusing and contrary to what I just said, but I think it's very important, and I don't think we say it enough in the church. Celebrate external beauty. Genesis 2 is very clear that God made men and women to be fit for one another, physically, a suitable companion. A companion whose body type was suited to the other. Just different enough to be attractive, but the same enough to be attractive. It makes it very clear that that was God's idea. And God's plan was that attraction was going to be part of his gift of marriage. God is excited about the attraction that happens in marriage. Very clear in Song of Solomon that takes place. Physical attraction is a gift from God. Again, Proverbs 5.18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And the context is that it's very physical. Physical attraction is a gift from God. Song of Solomon 2.2 says, As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. In verse 3, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. What's he saying? Well, man, when I walk into the you know, crowd and I see my wife, you know what she's like? She's like a lily. A pure lily. All the rest of you people, you're like a bunch of thorn bushes. Compared to your ugliness, she stands out just incredibly. My guy, your girl, the guy, the guy I like, I'll tell you what he's like. A bunch of crusty old oak trees, and then there's an apple tree. Scrub brushes and undergrowth and just nastiness, and then an apple tree. That's the guy I'm drawn to. I'm a girl. That's the girl I'm drawn to if I'm a guy, right? That, that's, that's this idea of physical attractiveness. We are not called to minimize external beauty as though it's insignificant to God. God made it. He made us to be attracted. He made man to be attracted to woman. That's to be celebrated. If you're a young guy, it's totally good that you're attracted to young ladies. If you're a young lady, totally good that you're attracted to young guys. Actually, totally appropriate that some of them seem more attractive than others. Celebrate external beauty. Don't go so quickly, and we'll get there, to the internal priorities that should take precedence that you dismiss this external celebration as insignificant, irrelevant, or maybe at worst, wrong. It's not. It's not Biblical to think that way. Celebrate external beauty. Position yourself to celebrate external beauty in such a way that you remember every person created in the opposite gender was created by God. Here's where it gets a little bit more challenging to be biblical along these lines. Imagine, if you would, a fisherman that goes out to fish. And he's got a net that's two feet wide. So he goes out to the lake, and he's committed to catching a fish. He tosses his net into the lake, reels it back in. No fish. Tosses it again, reels it back in. No fish. He does this for 10 or 12 years. No fish. What counsel might you give this fisherman? It might help you to broaden your net. Possibly. Why don't you give that a try? See if anything comes up. 
We don't celebrate external beauty by making our definition of pretty so small that it is very unlikely we will meet that person in the normal excursions of everyday life. God made them all. Now, I don't think it is ever advisable, ever advisable, for a person to marry someone that they are not attracted to physically. Why? Because clearly we're supposed to celebrate external beauty. That's a part of what it means in choosing a spouse. Part of what it means is I'm attracted to this person physically. However, if your net is two feet wide, I would never counsel you to marry someone outside of your net. I would counsel you maybe outside of the process of fishing to consider your net and consider how it might grow. I know of single guys that have said, here's the girl I'm looking for. Such and such height, such and such weight, such and such color eyes. I'm a little open to change there. Such and such color hair. And I'm looking for her. I'm fishing. Right? And what I want to say to that person is, you are an idiot. (laughs) Because, first of all, what are the chances that that person that you catch is also looking for someone that looks exactly like you? (laughs) The nets have to overlap. I don't know if you've picked... You know, pick that. This isn't a one-way fishing trip, okay? You're being fished for too, okay? And if you think that this particular net is going to catch a fish that is also looking to catch you, you are an idiot. I don't actually say that. It's not pastorally. You're not allowed to say that. The pastor you say, you know, that might be a little unwise. Have you ever considered uh, things like that, pastoral? When you're speaking, you can say it because you're not actually talking to someone. It's okay. What might I recommend? If you're a single guy, single girl, evaluate your net. Evaluate what you think of as physically attractive. If it's so limited that it's very unlikely you're going to find that person in the next 10 years, wouldn't you want to consider expanding that net? If you're a young person, start doing this now. Start disagreeing with what the culture is telling you is attractive. Again, I'm not saying you would ever want to marry somebody you're not attracted to. But if you can't ever find different types of beauty attractive, then you're going to have a hard time finding a spouse. It's just not all that surprising. Now, this happens. Guys and girls. Girls do exactly the same thing. Well, I've got my type. You know, girls always. I got my type. Oh, really? Where'd you get that type? Well, when I was growing up, I was watching this movie. And it just looks a lot like him. Okay, good. That guy's 57 years old now, okay? You seen him recently? He didn't look like that anymore. Expand your type. It's fine to have preferences. I'm not saying your net has to be the whole lake, right? I'm not saying, she's seeing a little female. I'm sure I could be attracted to her. I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying you go out there and just think, are you single? Are you a guy? Very good. I, I think you're awesome looking, all right? <laughs> it's not the whole lake, but broader than a couple of feet, okay? 
Your net doesn't have to be exactly like the person next to you. It's fine if you have preferences. It's great. But then what will happen as you cultivate those kinds of being able to be attracted, if you disagree with the culture, you know what, that's not true. That's just not true that that's the only exact look that's attractive. That's just not true. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. There's a lot of people that don't look exactly like that that are attractive. It can be beautiful. I, I can be attracted to things that don't look exactly that way. You will find it far easier to actually be attracted to a person that you also respect. Celebrate external beauty. If necessary, widen your net. And if you are under the delusion that physical attraction is inappropriate or disliked by God, you need to be enlightened. God made man to be physically drawn to a woman and vice versa. Celebrate external beauty. But thirdly, prioritize internal beauty. Celebrate external beauty but prioritize internal beauty. These are rules for attraction. I know the world thinks attraction is only a physical thing. The world is wrong, okay? God totally disagrees. Celebrate external beauty. Prioritize internal beauty. Now let's finally get to 1 Peter 3.3. 3. Speaking to ladies, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. Which, incidentally, I think that last phrase indicates he's not so much giving a list here, right? Because if he is, well, you do the math, okay? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Put it in divine terms, that means it's attractive to God. Don't let your adorning, in other words, don't try to be attractive primarily by those things that go on the outside of you. Try to make your attractiveness about the inside of you. Now, how do we respond to this as it relates to other people? Now, this passage is primarily talking about don't you try to be attractive based on what goes on the outside of you. This happens for guys and girls in this culture. Fashion for guys is on the rise, everybody. It just is. Let's just recognize it, okay? This happens for guys and girls. Don't try to make your attractiveness on the outside of you. Try to make it on the inside of you. Now, if you're of the opposite gender, you should be looking for somebody, recognizing the power of your will over attraction, who is prioritizing internal beauty. You should be looking for someone who is obeying this passage of Scripture. Whether it be a guy or girl. In other words, guys should like girls. Guys should like girls. I'm not saying they have to be grudgingly, oh, okay, I gotta. No. They should like girls who have a beautiful spirit. Girls should like guys who want them. To have a beautiful spirit. They should like guys. Recognizing the power of your will over attraction. It is possible to subordinate your actual feelings over time 
such that you are actually attracted to character. It's not drudgery. It's not sheer obedience. You're actually attracted. It draws you to that person. It draws you to them physically to see their character. It makes them look more beautiful to see their character. Guys should be men known more for their character than their fashion. Girls should be ladies known more for their humility than their hairstyle. Proverbs 31. If you've never read it, you ought to. After 19 verses describing the ideal's wife's character, finally he gets to one verse talking about how she looks, what she looks like. 19 verses describing her character. She does this, and she gets up early, and she serves, and she you know, provides for her family, and all her husband trusts in her, and blah, 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 blah. Finally, okay, finally, what does she look like? I'm trying to look for this woman. What does she look like? Here's the one verse on beauty. Here's everything he has to say. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain. So after 19 verses of making it explicitly clear that you really ought to focus on finding a person of character, that's really what you ought to prioritize. Okay, I'll give you something. Here's what I think about beauty. It's deceitful and vain. And man, isn't that true in experience, okay? You marry somebody, and man, just like 75% of the decision to marry them went into how they look, all right? Or at least usually that's how it works. And, and all of this angst, and is he really the best I could do? I don't really know. As I think about it, I think I could do better. Well, maybe not. Maybe I should just settle. He's not exactly right. I'm not sure. He's not totally my type. He kind of is, but sometimes he wears that. He doesn't look exactly. And then seven years later, he's completely out of fashion style. He's overweight and bald, and he's that way for the next 45 years. How thrilling is that? Now, I'm not trying to paint a really discouraging picture of marriage here, okay? (laughs) Maybe he won't be. (laughs) Trust me, the guys that work out when they're 20 and look like they're going to be that way the rest of their life, it's not any indicator that they will. It's just fascinating. Some guys, they don't look like nothing. And God preserves them. It's just frustrating, really. I, I mean, I don't know why it works out that way, but it does. A bunch of buff guys just turns totally to fat. Five years later. It's very disappointing. Anyway, here's the point. It's deceitful. It's vain. Even if he's not out of shape, I mean, his his face is going to start to show the effects of age. She's going to have children. It's deceitful. It's vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Prioritize internal beauty. Internal beauty will last and grow while external beauty fades. Celebrate external beauty. Internal beauty will grow. It will grow. Because character will grow. Because God who began a good work will bring it to completion. Prioritize internal beauty. God has prioritized internal beauty, the beauty of character and the beauty of a spirit. 
As God says in 1 Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What is most important to God should be most important to you. God celebrates physical attraction, but he prioritizes spiritual attraction. If we are drawn to a person's appearance so much that we make excuses for their immaturity, we are not following the biblical rules of attraction. If we are drawn to a person's appearance so much that we make excuses for immaturity, we are not following the biblical rules for attraction. Now listen, guys who are looking for internal beauty will see it. Girls, let me encourage you. Guys who are looking for internal beauty will see it. It is very apparent to a godly guy whether a woman's adorning is external or internal. It is as apparent as her wardrobe. Trust me, I know it is scary to try to be modest. I know it is scary to try to make your adorning internal rather than external. I know it is scary, especially when you stand there in that crowd and you think, how am I ever going to stand out when everybody else stands out in specific cultural ways? Godly men discern internal beauty. You will attract what you are. The same is true the other way around. Same is true for guys. If you're a dude that's into fashion, both for yourself and in the ladies, godly girls will smell that a mile away. If you're looking for external beauty, you'll find it. You will find it. If you want to be found for your external beauty, someone will find you. You will attract who you are. Guys, find the girls you are attracted to spiritually. Before you spend too much time thinking about your attraction to them physically. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a temporary attraction or at some level you're drawn. And Okay. I'm talking about permanent attraction that you would act on. Find the girls you're attracted to spiritually before you spend too much time thinking about how attracted you are to them physically. Girls, find the guys who want you to work harder on your spirit than you do on your makeup. Recognize the power of your will over attraction. Recognize the decisions you've made to agree with the cultural's definition. Start reversing those decisions. It probably will take some time, but you'll start to notice your actual desires changing. Celebrate external beauty. Marry somebody that you think looks good. If you've got a small net, widen it. That'll make that process a little easier. Prioritize internal beauty. You will attract who you are. Let's pray. Lord, as we end these messages, I pray that you would impress on everyone's heart your word. I pray that would be the only thing you would impress on everyone's heart. 
I pray that your word would revive those that have been, Lord, sleeping under the influence of the world. Lord, I pray that it would bring wisdom to those who have been following foolish principles. Lord, I pray that your plan of marriage and attraction and romance and servanthood, Lord, ultimately in a way that celebrates your gospel would be seen as desirous, would be precious and valuable to all of us. Lord, I pray you would protect the purity of every person in this room, that you would grant repentance for any sin, internal, external, Lord. I pray that in all these things and in all future relationships represented here, that you would glorify your sustaining grace. Lord, that the glory of your plan of marriage would be upheld, would be honored. So that, Lord, at the end of our lives, we can look back and say, thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so wise. Thank you for teaching me to celebrate what you celebrate. Pray you would make us more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.